Let's turn into the Gospel of Matthew here this evening. Matthew chapter 28, the very last paragraph of this last chapter in Matthew's Gospel. You'll find that on page 835 in the Bible that's in the chairs there this evening. Matthew 28. I'll go ahead and read uh, verse 16 and following. Uh, This is God's gospel. This is the word of God given to us by the inspiration of the Spirit for our strengthening and edification. May he open our ears and indeed our eyes to what he has for us. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. O God, be our instructor tonight in your word. Uh, we thank you, God, that uh, the chief end, uh, our, our, our highest delight and purpose is to glorify you and to enjoy you even here in this passage. And so, Father, um, may we be pursuing uh, that which is uh, all of your greatness and according to your worth and the majesty of your very being of who you are. Uh, We are students, we are disciples, and we pray, God, that you would shepherd us and lead us in your word. Uh, May we know the encouragement of Christ, and may we know the leading forth, all according to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and that we would be your servants. Uh, Take this word and bring it home to our hearts tonight. Uh, that we might uh, be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus, and we ask in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, today has been a day of giving concentration to uh, really the marks of the church, the three marks of the church. And historically speaking, the three marks of the church would be the faithful preaching of God's word, and then the faithful administration of the sacraments, and then also we use another same kind of word, faithful administration of church discipline. And so we're looking today at the second mark of the church. How do we find a church? How do we locate a church? What is a true church? Um, One includes the matter of these marks, particularly the second mark, the faithful administration, the sacraments. We didn't stress earlier today the matter that there only be two sacraments, but that's our implication tonight. Uh, It's the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and the sacrament of baptism. And here we have the Great Commission. The Great Commission that includes this second sacrament, uh, baptism, to discuss it in terms of our order today in these sermons, this morning, the Lord's Supper, this evening, uh, baptism. It's this second mark. That's how, we, that's how we look for a church. That's what's notable about a church. Uh, we drive by different church facilities each and every day, and we entrust them to Christ, that indeed, that they're preaching Christ, and they are practicing, uh, according to Scripture, matters of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and that they indeed, with the effort of the Spirit, seeking to practice church discipline. Our focus tonight will be baptism. We start in with these opening words here of the Great Commission. It's the so-called 
Great Commission as we've come to know it here. And right away, we can pick up that the church has purpose. Now, we probably know this, but here's a passage. It's a classic passage to be reminded of the mandate that the church is to be about. Notice it's the the 11 disciples that have been gathered now at this mountain uh, with the Lord. And these are some of his last words with his disciples. And so the disciples, representative of the church, those first who had been called away from fishing, called away from maybe being a tax collector, called away from some you know, political um, enterprise, Simon the Zealot, I have that in mind, uh, but the point is, they're called away from earthly callings to now follow the Lord Jesus. And here they are representing the church to receive this commission. And this commission is that she is to disciple. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment here. But that's her commission. That's her purpose. Why disciple the nations? Why? Well, the Bible tells us here, Christ is Lord. He's the resurrected Lord. He has all authority that authority over all things, all nations, all persons. And this authority is over the power of death and darkness, the tyranny of Satan. Uh, he has power and authority to forgive sins. And that's why preachers preach in the name of Christ and preach the work of Christ. Because indeed, that authority coming through the preached gospel and the, the, that exercise of proclamation is bringing forth promises. In Christ, there's new life. In Christ, there's forgiveness. He has all authority. We go on. Why disciple the nations? His kingly rule includes all authority to see, for, to see to it that his redeeming work is applied. Now, that's important. Not only is his redeeming work proclaimed, but he's going to attend to the proclamation of the word to apply the word so that redemption is being applied uh, throughout the world, to all whom the Father has given to him. John 17, verse 2, all that the Father has given to him. Same in John chapter 6, at verses 44 on down to 47. All that the Father has given to me, indeed, will come to me. Now remember, back earlier in Jesus' ministry, there's another mountain in the story with Matthew. And, it's that, and that's that mountain there in that temptation scene. Satan had promised him back there in Matthew chapter 4, to give him all the kingdoms of the world, if only he would bow down. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. However, Jesus, he knows that there's only one way of completing this task, this task of his redemptive work, and to be declared the Son of God, having all authority in heaven and upon earth, and that is through that pathway of humiliation, going to the cross. It's not something that indeed Satan would give over to him, all the kingdoms of this world, but indeed he himself would come and take. <laughs> he himself would exercise his authority to be spotless and sinless, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, uh, to preach forth the word, exercising that authority to forgive sins only God could do. So he's the authoritative one, but it comes to that pathway of humiliation. And then there's the exaltation, that resurrection of his own body on the third day, which is the Father's seal of approval. This is my Son, and this is the one, indeed, who is Lord. Again, why disciple the nations? Here's the victorious Christ. He summons his people to bow before him, 
That's why the Apostle Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And uh, they will confess him here on earth or they'll confess him later in that judgment scene that indeed he is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father, Philippians chapter 2. Here is the king of heaven and earth who is the Lord. And what is he about? He's about putting all his enemies to subdue his enemies underneath his feet, 1 Corinthians 15. This is the Lord of glory. And this describes our purpose. Wow, what a, what a blessing that is, right? <laughs> what a blessing to be privileged to be ambassadors in our various callings, in our, in our various ways of being gifted as he has so gifted us, to be about uh, taking part in the proclamation and the extension of his authority, that he's about subduing all of his enemies underneath his feet. One day we know that, 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 that matter of putting underneath his feet all of his enemies, that's, that has started. That has started with his own exaltation, being resurrected on the third day and ascended to the Father's right hand, and it continues to this day. One day it will be complete when everything is finally and fully underneath his feet. So here we are. Uh, we're speaking uh, about the Lord and his glorious authority. This is some of those introductory remarks about this great commission. Now, Jesus is speaking here in Galilee. He's speaking to the disciples. And he's called his first disciples, those 11 that are with him right now, those first disciples. He first called them back in those early chapters. You know, Matthew 3, Matthew 4, Matthew 5. The same in Mark chapter 1. The same in Luke chapter 4 and chapter 5. He's calling these early disciples. And he said what? Come and follow me. Those same disciples are now commissioned to proclaim his word to others. They're to follow the Lord who first called them. And now those same original disciples are commanded to go and make disciples. People just like themselves. Other followers of Christ. And we're sitting here tonight. Believe it or not, we are sitting here tonight, some 2,000 years later, uh, we're sitting here tonight because the original apostolic band, the original band of disciples were faithful to that calling, preaching the word, discipling others, ministering the word of God, setting forth Christ's authority. Such disciple making has been taking place generation after generation, and we're here tonight as the fruit of that. Again, if we were to take some time in a service like this this evening, and just share something about how the Lord has ministered to us in our own lives, it would all eventually be to echo this mandate being fulfilled. We're here because this mandate is being fulfilled. So don't ever doubt to your mind. Don't ever think to yourself, well, is this working? Absolutely is working. This is the evangelization taking place uh, throughout the nations in Jesus Christ, though he, uh, uh, again, he called these first disciples and he then told them to go and disciple the nations. What does a disciple look like? Well, the disciple looks like the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, you know, remember that's what he said to us, uh, that the, the student is not to be greater than the teacher, and the, and, the, and the teacher is indeed, the student is to adorn the characteristics of the teacher. We're to be like Jesus. Discipleship implies more than learning facts. It is acknowledging truths, but it's more than that. Uh, true disciples practice the truth that they've learned. Uh, to be a true disciple means having Christ internalized, as we say in our lives, taken in, um, to be embraced in the heart, to have that, 
that new heart, that newness of life, a new person who he makes us to be. And so it's not, it's not a system. It's not a set of propositions, right? Uh, we follow Jesus. And, 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 and what flows out of following Jesus is to go to his commands, what he has said, what he has taught. And so uh, we want to be more and more like Jesus in terms of following him. Uh, to be like Christ also means that there's a new heart that the person has, and that's indicated by baptism. We're going to look at that in just a second. But this new heart is indicated by baptism. Baptism, baptism is that sign of newness, of washing away of sin. Secondly, here in the same passage here about this great commission, it includes a new heart evidenced by obedience. That's why he says, teaching whatsoever I've commanded that they might observe that teaching. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So it's not merely teaching, but teaching to observe. And that's how important discipleship is. He will say in John chapter 13, um, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. Obeying my commands is what Jesus is saying there. A disciple in whom the Holy Spirit is working begins to change that person, to conform that person more and more to Christ Jesus. Jesus will say, that disciple bears fruit. He even says, much fruit. Uh, John chapter 15. And we show ourselves to be disciples by bearing such fruit. Again, introductory uh, remarks about this great commission following Christ, the mandate given to the church, and what it means indeed to uh, be those who follow him. Let's telescope down now. Let's, let's get the telescope out and make sure we can, we can uh, see a visual here of some specifics about this mandate. Look at verse 19 with me. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples uh, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We have one main command here, and the command is disciple. Uh, in the original language, there are three other support words. And the support words would be ing words. Now, in verse 19, we don't get the ing in the word go, but it is an ing word, going. Going, therefore. We get another ing word, baptizing. And that's there for us, baptizing them. We get another ing word in the original here. And we've got in our English, verse 20, teaching. So we have three support words, all ing words, going, baptizing, teaching. But there's one central mandate of a command. We, we say it in English grammar, one imperative. Imperative, a command. It is simply disciple. Now we add a word to it in our English translations, Go therefore and what? Make, right? We make disciples. But in the original, we don't have the word make here. We don't put that sort of helping verb there to make then the noun disciple. It's actually go disciple. It's the command to disciple. And so it's just like any other command we have. Run, jump, hike, throw, some other command like that. This is the command simply disciple. If you think about making disciples, that's an impossibility. 
We're to disciple, and to disciple stresses the process. The emphasis here is to carry out this process to disciple. And so that's that one imperative that is the central thought of these verses. One action word, one command, one thing to do, and that is to disciple. And again, there are two components now. Two ING words flowing out of this particular command, disciple. And we have it baptizing, and we have it teaching. Let's focus in now on this one means of growth. If the mandate is to disciple, disciple, disciple the nations. Let's focus in on this one means of growth, baptism. Now notice again, when Jesus left this great commission to his church, he wanted his church to be a church focused upon the word and sacraments. And that flows right out of this passage. Teaching is the word. Disciple, how? Teach them. Disciple, how? Baptize them. So the word and the sacrament comes from this passage once again. You know, we can have um, sort of subsets of our purpose. Subsets of our purpose. If our purpose is the word and the sacraments, if our purpose is this matter of giving ourselves to the word and to the sacraments as a church, subsets of those things might be small group Bible studies. Subsets of those things are personal evangelistic ministry. Personal evangelistic ministry. Subsets of those things might be diaconal ministry. Absolutely. But the point here is if there's a dominant methodology and a dominant means for our growth, it is the word to preach, to teach, to disciple in the word, and then to baptize, or we might extend upon that, to practice faithfully the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's how we grow. We grow in the word, right? The means of growth, prayer, the word and the sacraments, the means of growth that way. Uh, through the Lord's uh, blessing. Again, another subset would be fellowship. Another subset would be um, uh, uh, pastoral care and counseling. Uh, th these are not unimportant. They're very important. But they're to flow out of the dominant expressions that we're to have to be about uh, the word and the sacraments. Let's take up this one here for this one particular narrow area of the means of growth, baptism. Well, he tells us here, baptizing. That's what it says in verse 19, baptizing. Christ commanded his followers to baptize. Uh, it is an essential component in disciple making. Uh, the sacrament of baptism is a name-giving ceremony. How do we note that? Note these words. Baptizing them in the name. That's what the verse says. This is a name-giving ceremony. So when the pastor is up here with a basin of water, uh, dear brothers and dear sister, I was in an Orthodox Presbyterian church one time where it was not a basin of water. I was visiting at this one of our congregations. It was not a basin of water, a, a baptismal font, let's say. This was a pitcher with a huge handle. This pitcher was this like this, and a huge handle. And this dear brother, this minister in our church, had this, this dear recipient come up, and he just poured this water on this brother. <laughs> So, yes, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, we, we, get, a, we, get, we get certain disciples really wet. <laughs> so 
So it's not merely the sprinkling at a, at a font in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, but it can be uh, quite a washing of the water. But the passage here is emphasizing this name. It's a name-giving ceremony. Baptizing them, we might actually translate it into the name, into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this minister, a minister, will baptize the person into the name of our God. And baptism then points to the fact that the disciple has died in Christ. He is to put away uh, his first nature of the human flesh. He's to put off the old man. Does not matter if that... If that uh, that, that disciple has been baptized as a young child, an infant. That young child is to be nurtured in that baptism, putting away, Christ, putting away the old man and putting on Jesus Christ. Why? Because his name is over. Mark Sumter is no longer. He's now named Christian. He or she is named Christian. He's named after the Father, Son, and Spirit. Indeed, he's died with Christ been raised with Christ, that's Romans chapter 6, buried in that baptism, raised to new life, Romans chapter 6, in Christ Jesus, and now he's being renewed in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, uh, Titus 3, 5, that washing of that regeneration of the Holy Spirit, being made new over. He's a new man, a new name, that's what it's getting at here. He's baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, the emphasis here is that this is a new name, a name-giving ceremony. In the Westminster Larger Catechism, Westminster Larger Catechism at question 165, we have the question, and then I'll read part of the answer. Question 165, what is baptism? Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament wherein Christ hath ordained the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It's to, it's to be known as a sign and seal of engrafting into himself, into Christ, being engrafted in. He's a new creature. It points to that newness in Christ. Notice, let's go, let's go a little bit more now. Notice the word baptizing. It's an I-N-G word. Baptizing. Baptism in the Gospels is, is customarily used with washing and cleansing. We can have vessels, and I mean implements, cups, saucers, places of vessels and kitchenware in the Gospels where those, those vessels and kitchenware have been baptized. Of course, we don't translate it that way, but they've been washed. They've been washed with water. They have been made clean, and that's the notion here. It's an outward sign. Baptism is an outward sign of being washed with water. Water, we know that common usage is for cleansing, it is for washing, it is for purification. And that is why Christ appoints such means. Why do we say this? Again, it's a sign and a seal that testifies to us, it testifies to us, this is God's gracious saving work. He's the God who washes. He's the God who cleanses and purifies. He uses this means to communicate such saving grace. What we do outwardly, 
He confirms in the promises of God by the work of the Spirit to wash, to cleanse, to purify. He will set this one apart, the one who clings to Jesus, the one who walks in the promises of Jesus. This is the testimony that this is God's gracious work toward us. Again, Westminster Catechism, the larger catechism here, what is baptism? Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament wherein Christ hath ordained what? The washing with water. And it signifies what? The remission of sins by His blood and the regeneration of the Spirit. It's this inward working of the Spirit who brings forth the fruit to which the sign points. Washing points away from itself. Washing directs us to newness. Washing directs us to the purification. Washing directs us to the Spirit's work of cleansing us from the guilt of sin. The water and the washing goes hand in hand with the washing of Christ's blood. And that's why you have that language in different letters of Paul or in the book of Hebrews of the washing of purification from sin. It is the Lord who spilled his own blood and by that blood, symbolic washing is clean. He received in his body the judgment of death Death, which indeed is newness of life for the believer trusting in him. And so disciples are welcomed into the kingdom. And it's this language of being engrafted into this name. It's a name-giving ceremony, a new name that this person receives. It's, it's the, sim the symbolic nature of this washing of water that speaks of cleansing. But to then be brought in under the authority of Christ is to be brought in under the authority of the King, Jesus Christ. And that's to say, now no longer to be under the dominion of Satan, but now to be delivered and transferred over to the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son. So with baptism, the disciple is marked out as a part of that visible community that's receiving the word from the King. After all, Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. That's why baptism is so important. You have a new master, a new king, a new authority. And friends, that's why so many of the unbelieving religions of the world, that's why so many of the unbelieving heresies of cults today, that if you're baptized into Christ, that person who's being baptized out of the unbelief of the world religions, out of the unbelief of the cults and the heresies, they have a new allegiance now. It's now King Jesus, and that's why they're persecuted. He said, I have all authority upon heaven and earth. He's the Lord. He's the King. And baptism signifies we're under a new master, a new Lord, a new authority, the King of all the nations. And that is why... Uh, men and women and children will be faced with persecution because they now have a new allegiance to the king. And being under the lordship of Christ means that they have that sign upon them that he's the king of the nations. He's going to say that to the disciples here. Baptize, uh, sorry, go therefore make disciples of all nations. He's the Lord of the whole earth. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when is the last time you thought that being baptized into Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, being baptized into Christ, you're now united with the church that resides around this entire globe. You are enlisted with all the nations of the earth. Do you see how even baptism also reminds us that though we, that yes, we come under Christ's authority, but now we're to, to be about preserving the unity in the bond of peace, the unity of the Spirit. That baptism unites us with the global body of Christ, that professing global body of Christ. Our baptism should lead us to fervent prayer for other churches, fervent prayer for other Christians, fervent prayer for other nations, other ethne, other tribes and peoples and kindreds and tongues. We share in that same union of being under the, uh, under the king and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one small reason why we pray for missions. They are our brothers and sisters. They have so much to teach us. And you know as well as I do, some of the very gospel-preaching churches in Africa far outstrip us in America anymore. They far outstrip us in terms of their conservatism and their stance upon standing for Christ and standing upon his truth. Again, coming underneath the king who has all authority of all the nations, baptism reminds us we belong with that church globally that professes Christ and where he is at work. They are our brothers and sisters. We must pray for them as they are praying for us. My notes here say we get the privilege of taking part in the every nation ministry of the Great Commission. We get the privilege to take part in the every nation ministry of the Great Commission. Whereas it was at one time in the Old Testament here, in the Old Testament, it was the sign of being in, the, in covenant with God with circumcision. Uh, now it is, the, it is not the, uh, the, the, the bloody ceremony uh, of, the, of the male organ to be circumcised, but now it's been replaced with the washing of the water, the washing of the water, which indeed is that every nation ministry going forth as the Great Commission. Jesus says, go and baptize. Go and be about that washing which indeed points to such features that we've been talking to, uh, talking about here tonight. I want to close here just reminding us that the church historically, when it, when it comes to, to disciple, disciple the nations, and when it comes to this matter of the faithful administration of the sacrament of baptism, the church historically has raised a question for the church. And the question goes this way, and again, it's in the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 167. How is baptism to be improved by us? That is an awkward question. That is a different question. Now, the old Puritans and the fathers in England and Ireland and Scotland, uh, the United Kingdom, when they were drafting the Westminster Standards, the Confession of Faith and the two catechisms, they would often use this language that we're to give ourselves to study, to study baptism. They do not mean by that word study to open up a textbook and start reading a chapter on baptism. 
That's the old language, which means give yourself to the significance, importance, and the gift of the sacrament that's upon you. Give yourself to it. Study it. That means make it an occupation of your personal prayer. I don't typically pray about my baptism. I don't study my baptism. I typically do not improve upon it. That's the language they decided to use here. How is baptism to be improved by us? Baptism is not a one and done. Baptism is a means by which we are to attend and give thoughtful consideration and meditation and prayer and areas of memorization in Scripture and memorization of good quotes about baptism. Why? Because, because in this matter of tuning in and giving attention to baptism, we improve upon it. Now listen to what the question, how the question's answered. How is baptism to be improved? The needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long, especially in the time of temptation. And when we are present at the administration of it to others, someone else is getting baptized, it reminds us of that sacred ceremony with which we've been included. It goes on, how do we improve? By serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it. How are we to improve? To give ourselves to the ends for which Christ instituted it, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed thereby, and our solemn vow made therein. Lord, I'm in the Lord's army. I'm, I'm yours. You own me. I'm under your lordship. The solemn vow that we've made, I will follow you all my days, O God. He goes on to say, how do we improve it? By being humbled for our sinful defilement, our falling short of and walking contrary to the grace of baptism. By falling short of our own engagements. That's to say that God has engaged us. He's, he's, he's summoned us to, to be in allegiance with him. We diminish our baptism. We can never break it. But the point is, we can walk away from it. We can diminish it by our disobedience. How else are we to improve on it? By growing up in an assurance of a pardon of sin. You want to grow in your assurance? Give yourself to the doctrine of baptism. Give yourself to its administration. Give yourself to the grace that God has shown you. It goes on, and all other blessings that would be sealed to us in that sacrament. How else to improve? By drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, into whom we are baptized. For the mortifying of sin, for the quickening of grace, by endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation, our walk, in holiness and righteousness as those who have therein given up their names to Christ. You're no longer Mark Sumter. Your name is Christian. Are you walking in that name? Do not take the name's Lord in vain. How else? To walk in brotherly love. 
We've talked about that. We, we, we're named with the professing church. Do we love our brothers? Do we love our sisters? Baptism calls us to love. <laughs> Prayer, service, engagement, giving up, uh, uh, preferring others over ourselves. And then lastly, by being baptized by the same Spirit into one body, to be in earnest, to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So brothers and dear sister, are you improving your baptism? Martin Luther, the old German reformer, in the 1500s, when he was tempted, he would often say to himself, I am a baptized man. I have never said that. <laughs> I'm a baptized man. What was he doing? He's reminding himself, I am the Lord's. Baptism summons me to purity. Baptism invites me to devotion to live out my union with the Lord Jesus. Baptism calls me to focus on Christ. Alan Strange, one of our ministers, he wrote an article in New Horizons. I quote just two sentences from him. Temptation always involves the enticement. Temptation always involves the enticement to idolize the creature perverting God's good gifts from their proper usage, enlisting the creature to provide what only the creator can provide. As we remember that we are Christ's, signed and sealed as his, we are strengthened to die to sin and to live to righteousness. But friends, the good news is, even when we fail to remember... <laughs> Christ is with us. He goes with us because he's given himself to us. His name he has given to you. Ask yourself tonight, am I the kind of disciple that indeed Jesus is continuing to groom for faithful service? Will I follow the Lord Jesus this new week? How can I be a learner, one who's receiving his teaching, obeying all of his commandments, observing what he's taught us? Do I ap actively seek to disciple others? Are we treating each, others, uh, each other as those who are baptized? Are we treating them with esteem to pray for them, to serve together with them, to anticipate that God will be using them in our lives as his baptized children to minister to us through their grace they share with us? Are we walking faithfully together in God's gracious covenant, even as we go, right? We go because the Lord has commanded us to disciple. May that be our hearts and lives in this new week. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a gift that you have instituted for your church. That sign and that authentication that you're the God of grace and you are using your word to drive home to us that in our baptism we belong to the Lord. Oh, Father, may it be that your church is faithful in our day to disciple. We long to see 
more baptisms. That Jesus Christ and his authority and his lordship is spreading and it's being made known. Oh, Father, may you receive the glory in these things. What a privilege it is to be a disciple. Help us, we ask, to disciple others. Extending the kingdom of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.